please be aware that True Crime by the Book may discuss topics, share opinions, and use language that could be disturbing or offensive to some listeners. Listener discretion is advised. Tidings and salutations, bibliophiles. Thank you for joining me on episode 16 of True Crime by the Book. I am the librarian, Tasha Pierce, and your host. Now this week, I decided I'd go into another documentary. Because this subject is receiving a ton of attention lately, and I've got shit to say. Now awareness is everything, and I need my audience to have eyes and ears on this situation as it unfolds. Today, I want to share with you my thoughts on the Oxygen docuseries, The Witnesses. But first, this week I have some new reviews for the podcast. Uh, the first was sent by the lovely Sarah Kay from Toledo, Ohio. I really appreciate your support, Sarah, and I've got your book suggestion on deck for the near future. Uh, it's Murder Up North podcast. Sent a five-star review from across the pond. I suck at, at accents. And she has a great show to boot. In fact, you can uh, definitely find her on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. And I get a lot of compliments on my voice. But let me tell you, and I appreciate those compliments, by the way. Thank you, everyone, who has sent those very kind words in to me. The host from It's Murder Up North podcast has a very soothing voice. And she kind of puts you at ease when she's talking about like horrific murders and shit. So give her a listen. I'm sure she'll appreciate it. And last but not least, Newbie 2016 has some nice words for me as well. So thanks, Newbie 2016. As for the rest of you, what are you waiting for? Reviews are a huge help to the podcast. It helps to ensure that others are able to find the show and it also helps me see who's listening. So make this a priority this week. Leave reviews for your favorite podcasters, even if it's not my show, because they will certainly appreciate it. And with that out of the way, let's hop into today's episode. I'm sure that most of us can recall sleeping in on a Saturday morning, worn out from a whole week of whatever, when a sharp knock on the front door, stirs you from your dreams. Reluctantly, you get out of bed and you stumble to the window. You look out and see two or three well-dressed people with briefcases on your steps. They look like they're selling something, and you don't particularly want to buy anything. And one of them spots you peeking out of the window. You don't want to seem rude, so you crack your door just to tell them you're not interested. But before you can say a word, the leader introduces himself and politely asks if they can talk to you about the Bible. Now, the hook is usually something like, would you like to live forever on a paradise earth? This is just one example of encountering a Jehovah's Witness in the preaching work, what they called field service. And for many of us, that is the extent of our experience with this Christian sect. Now, I bet you're wondering, what beef could Tasha possibly have with Jehovah's Witnesses? They are some of the nicest people in the world, and they spend their free time sharing the good news of Jehovah's kingdom. 
And I have to agree that as a whole, the congregations of Jehovah's Witnesses are full of people who sincerely want to be good citizens. However, there are policies put in place by the governing body of Jehovah's Witnesses and enforced by each congregation's elders that leave the most vulnerable members in danger. Now, the Witnesses places these policies under a microscope, and we hear stories from the former Jehovah's Witnesses that have left them scarred for life. And I'm going to tell you a little bit more about Jehovah's Witnesses and what they believe and how their practices could be considered cult-like. The documentary sheds light on problems that have slid under society's radar because of the secretive and isolated nature of this sect. Now, if you are one of Jehovah's Witnesses and you are a fan or you listen to this show, I'm going to give you an option right now. Option number one, or I'm going to actually give you two options. Option number one would be to listen to this episode. And if I'm getting any of the facts of your religion wrong, call me to the carpet on it. Just call me to task on it because I want to, to share truthful information. Or number two, and which is probably what the governing body would like for you to do, is not listen to this podcast. Because I would hate to stumble you in your faith. I'm lying. I'm not. I wouldn't hate to stumble you. (laughs) But I don't want to, to be the person who gives you a crisis of conscience. And that's a little Jehovah's Witness wink, wink, nudge, nudge, because crisis of conscience is a book that wakes a lot of Jehovah's Witnesses up. And it was written by a former member of the governing body. His name was Raymond Franz. Uh, He's since passed away, but he unloaded in this book. Anyway, there you are. I've given you the option to uh, take off right now. Anyone else who's listening, I hope you hear this before you join the Jehovah's Witnesses or that it helps you to better understand friends or family members who practice this religion. In this documentary, we meet several former Jehovah's Witnesses, beginning with Debbie McDaniel. Now, as a child, her family lived in Houston, Texas, right here where I am, and her dad worked for NASA. That's right, NASA. (laughs) So he was part of the race for space in the 60s. And if you don't know, the U.S. and the USSR were competing in space exploration. Uh, Who would be the first to put a man on the moon? Now, we know who eventually won that battle. It was after this milestone in human history that Debbie's mom was visited by Jehovah's Witnesses in field service. They introduced her to the wonders of Jehovah's kingdom, and she was sold. Now, she shared this good news with her husband, and after studying with the witnesses, the family packed up and moved to Oklahoma to join a congregation. Now, the family had to leave old things behind, such as observing holidays like Christmas and Easter, uh, celebrating birthdays, and being a part of, quote, unquote, Satan's world. They learned that the entire world was under demonic control. A world meaning anyone who was not a Jehovah's Witness. The only safe place on earth was Jehovah's chosen organization, the Jehovah's Witnesses. Now, this type of isolation 
is common in cults, and it allows for unthinkable acts to be committed against members. There is a hierarchy in this religion that kind of puts me in the mind of a multi-level marketing business. The bottom tier consists of rank-and-file witnesses called publishers. Uh, The next level are the congregation's elders, who are said to be hand-picked by Jehovah himself. Then there are the traveling overseers, who go from congregation to congregation, ensuring that they are following mandates from upper levels. The next tier is branch committees, followed by the highest level, the governing body. So what you have are the publishers who are just the regular employees, the elders who are managers, the traveling overseers. Those are like area coaches. The branch committee is like uh, upper level management types. And then the CEOs and presidents and all of that of the company would be the governing body. Now, the governing body consists of eight anointed men. Uh, By anointed, Jehovah's Witnesses believe that 144,000 people from God, 33 AD until like now, only 144,000 people will enter the kingdom of heaven. Everyone else is going to live here on a paradise earth. And that is only after uh, Armageddon comes and Jehovah and his army destroys 99.9% of human beings on the earth currently and also resurrects people who died uh, prior to Armageddon to give them an opportunity to serve Jehovah. I know. (laughs) I know. So they are said, these government governing body members are said to be guided by Jehovah's Holy Spirit. The entire organization is supposed to be guided by the Bible, their own special translation of the texts called the New World Translation. Now, they also publish companion texts and literature, uh, for example, the Watchtower and Awake magazines, that are to be followed as if they were sent by God himself. In fact, many witnesses have an extensive library of companion literature that they must keep updated and follow. And by keeping them updated, I mean if if a new version of the book comes out, they need to turn in the old version of the book, take the new version of the book, which makes it very, very easy to switch policies and erase history because nobody would have the, the old copies of the book to compare to what the book says now. Nobody is asking what these revisions are for. But I digress. These books contain direction on ne- on nearly every aspect of everyday life. Now, this creates kind of a, a hive mentality amongst publishers. Anyone caught thinking or speaking independently of the teachings will be reprimanded or removed. You heard that correctly. If you think the wrong thing, you will be expelled. And they are very good at enforcing this because they turn the members loose on one another. Uh, they, They are encouraged to keep the congregation clean by snitching on each other. If you're caught on the wrong end of this independent thinking conundrum, 
You could lose privileges or worse. You could be disfellowshipped. Now, there are a number, number of sins besides thinking independently that could be a disfellowshipping offense. These include the big ones like adultery and fornication, but there are also weird ones like selling tobacco or participating in yoga. And there's a lot in between. Like, a lot. So you asking me at this point, I'm sure, how is any of this a crime? It's shameful that these people make a choice to live like this. But is it a crime? Is it criminal? Well, why stop and ask then? What about the children? They are in a position that the parents raised them in this organization because they sincerely believe that it is the truth. And that's what they call it. And most cults do. (laughs) So if you're an infant, literally minutes old, And the only thing standing between you living a long, healthy life or dying within the hour is a blood transfusion. Guess what? Your parents will choose for you to die. As a Jehovah's Witness, blood transfusions are equal to eating blood. Now, there have been many people that lost their lives because they abstained from taking blood transfusions. It's, and it's one thing when there's, these are adults who make these decisions for themselves and something else entirely when adults are making decisions on behalf of children. But there are a lot of other ways to find yourself on the outside looking in of this religion. And it all starts with a judicial committee presided over by three elders. So they'll show you what rule you broke using their Bibles. And they hear your side of the story and then determine if you're being truthful and repentant. Now, once you've been disfellowshipped, because a lot of times that's how that ends. (laughs) Once you've been disfellowshipped, an announcement is made from the podium by the elders. And that goes something like Tasha Pierce is no longer one of Jehovah's Witnesses. They don't go into why they just make this announcement. With that, a flip is switched in all witnesses that are in good standing and they immediately begin to shun the ousted individual. Uh, Being disfellowshipped is considered spiritual death. The worst thing that can happen to a witness because being disfellowshipped means no resurrection to the earthly paradise. It means you will die in Armageddon, just like all of us worldly people on the outside. So this brings me back to Debbie's story. What happens when the person committing the disfellowshipping offense is an elder? The whole congregation feels as if this man, because it's always a man, they feel as if as though this man was appointed by Jehovah through his governing body. That means there should be no mistakes. An independent thinker would argue If Jehovah can be wrong about these elders, what else might he be wrong about? But independent thinking is discouraged. I wonder why. Well, unfortunately, Debbie would find out the congregation had a wolf in sheep's clothing. Ronald Lawrence was a respected elder in the congregation. He would often assemble the teams that would go out in the community for field service. 
It was looked at as an honor to be paired with him. So imagine the excitement that Debbie and her mom felt when he chose Debbie to be his partner in field service. And I guess I should mention that this is a very patriarchal religion. Women are only as powerful as the men they are associated with. Women and girls don't hold positions of authority in the congregation. Uh, They can ascend to the level of pioneer, and that is a publisher who devotes at least 70 hours per month to the field ministry. Now, women who pioneer are, are held in higher esteem over ones who don't. And if a man is looking for a wife, he's looking at these strong women of faith first. The level down is uh, auxiliary pioneers who only do 50 hours per month. This is likely the capacity that Debbie served at seven years old. Little Debbie turning in her little time slips and preaching the good news. That's right. They have to record their time and turn it in. And this is sounding more and more like a business than a religion. But I'm going to I'm not going to go into all of that. Just think about it. So. Debbie turned in her time slips, preaching the good news, and now she's out preaching with Brother Lawrence. It seems, however, that Ronnie Lawrence had other things on his mind. Debbie says that on that first morning, he began a campaign of sexual abuse that would last seven years. Dolores Lyles was another JW child who was entrusted to Ronnie Lawrence. At 10 years old, after her dad passed away, she was sent to do janitorial work with Ronnie because the family needed money. Now, this wasn't odd as Jehovah's Witnesses are encouraged to do this type of work in order to have more time to devote to the watchtower. So they'll own their own, say, window washing or janitorial business and set their whole schedule around their meetings and their field service time and the such so that they are not missing any any meetings. And if your job is getting in the way of your meeting attendance, you would be highly encouraged to leave that job. Well, the family business was cleaning office spaces and uh, warehouses, and this gave Ronnie all the time he needed to molest Dolores. And sickening, more sickening, is that he used scripture to justify his actions. Now, the the abuse was ongoing, including at a pool in Arkansas, when she attended a district convention with the elder. And these conventions, uh, there are different kinds of conventions that are held at different times of year. The district convention is where like a whole region of congregations get together and they all hear the same message. And I mean, wherever you are attending a district convention, you will hear the same message. It's like a a big indoctrination period, or it's like going on a Mary Kay trip. (laughs) Well, sadly, Ronnie Lawrence used one of these conventions as an opportunity to molest Dolores. Uh, Ronnie also had a pool at his home where he routinely abused girls. Now, 
1994, Dolores found her voice and reported this abuse to the body of elders. So, a judicial committee was formed with three elders to investigate her claims. And now those three elders spoke to Dolores, who gave an uncomfortable and in-depth account of Ronnie's abuse. And when I say this, I mean, imagine being a child sitting in a room with three men, especially being a female child, but any child sitting in a room with three men and describing sexual scenarios to them and how uncomfortable that must be. Her parents can't be in the room with her. She has to tell this story to the elders. And then, then Ronnie comes and tells his side of the story and he has a right to face his accuser. So now you've got a little girl however old years old sitting in a room with four men squirming in her seat having to repeat her allegations in front of the man who molested her while he vehemently denies any wrongdoing now the hearing ended with no disciplinary action and this is where the conduct can and should be considered criminal by the organization. Ronnie didn't get disfellowship because the witnesses adhere to an archaic biblical rule that was used to litigate civil disagreements between God's people. This rule is known to them as the two witness rule. Basically, there need to be Two witnesses to any sin. Now, of course, this is ridiculous. Most child molesters do not keep a second witness around to report their wrongdoings. And in the case of a child against an elder, it was her word versus his. No disciplinary action was taken and Ronnie was free to molest again. Notice that at no point did I say the elders who are window washers and janitors by trade. At no point did they decide that this situation was too big for them to handle. You know, maybe report this kind of crime to the secular authorities. They specifically followed the mandate handed down to them by the governing body via a memo in 1989. And in so many words, the memo cautioned elders to remain quiet about incidents of sexual abuse. These matters were confidential and taken care of in-house. The only call the elders are required to make was to the legal department of the Watchtower Bible and Tract Society. The legal department. The legal department. So you know they know that what they're doing could possibly get them in legal trouble. Because uh, they didn't have a second witness to this abuse, the elders closed the case and they put many other children in harm's way. They report uh, this to the legal department. They also send pretty much what I would consider a child molester questionnaire that has to be sent to the branch offices and it has to be sent in a bright blue envelope so that it stands out amongst everything else, so that they know that this situation involves child 
sexual abuse. There is no plausible deniability. You got a fucking envelope that is color coded so that you specifically know when you see this color envelope, this is what you're dealing with. Now, remember, these are people who go door to door preaching to families. If any one of those families decide to have an ongoing Bible study, they could be inviting a predator into their homes. And this brings us back to Debbie. Dolores caught up with her and asked if she had the same experiences with Ronnie. Now, by this time, Debbie was 29 years old. She was married and had a child of her own. She was a good witness woman. She was also a second witness to Ronnie's conduct. So now they were in the position to bring this monster down. So Debbie reported her abuse and one of the presiding elders over her judicial committee was her dad. So her testimony along with Dolores was credible. Finally, Ronnie stopped lying and took his punishment. He was disfellowshipped. Now, I already explained that once you're disfellowshipped, the congregation views that person as dead. But there is a way back to the quote unquote truth. That would be by being super gung ho in meeting attendance and showing your remorse. If you prove that you want to be part of the congregation again, you'll be reinstated. And it's just a matter of time. And if Jehovah sends word to the elders that you are totally repentant, it might not take very long. Now, you would think that Jehovah would have gotten word to the elders before this shit happened, but I digress. In the meantime, the congregation has no idea why Ronnie had been disfellowshipped. When he's reinstated, he regains all the privileges of a regular publisher, including being a traveling child molesting door-to-door doomsday peddler. During this time, Debbie decided to report her abuse to the authorities. She was warned that if she did this, she would be punished. See, another rule that Jehovah's Witnesses adhere to is not taking a brother or sister to court. Now, if it hasn't become apparent, these rules protect the worst kinds of people, even though it might be inadvertent. The Jehovah's Witnesses are very concerned with not bringing reproach on Jehovah's name and keeping the congregation clean. But they seem to give zero fucks about the community they operate in. And this still may not be enough info for many people to see how this makes the Watchtower organization the subject of a true crime podcast. Well, in 2013... Debbie does report her abuse to the police and she's disfellowshipped for admit she's she's disfellowshipped really for admitting that she was attracted to women because homosexuality is a no-no but also she did make this report to the police now while describing her situation to the detectives she mentioned a fouling cabinet that had all the dirt on every member of the congregation Armed with this knowledge, the police obtained a search warrant so they could get to the bottom of these allegations. Imagine their surprise when they got to the Kingdom Hall and the contents of that cabinet 
were removed. These fuckers were attempting a cover-up. And the elders make no moves without consulting the governing body. So this likely went all the way to the top. Now, Debbie's life was now in shambles. Her family was shunning her. She was having an identity crisis. Her child was being kept from her. And the congregation's elders were now practicing theocratic warfare. And that's a doctrine that teaches that refusing to cooperate with criminal investigations involving Jehovah's Witnesses is sanctioned by God because outsiders are not entitled to the truth. Now we're getting into real criminality. Under theocratic warfare, all the nice shit goes out the window. Jehovah's Witnesses are allowed and encouraged to lie to protect their beliefs. Now the wild card in these situations is Pimo. Jehovah's Witnesses and Pimo is uh, those people who are physically in, mentally out. P-I-M-O. Pimo. They haven't come up with an escape plan that won't turn their whole fucking life upside down. But the indoctrination is wearing off. And it is believed that one of these Pimos called the police and tipped them to re-execute the search warrant. The police did just that and hit the mother load. In that once empty filing cabinet, there were documents that not only supported Debbie and Dolores' accusations, there were others. Now, the Jehovah's Witnesses keep meticulous records. Like I said, even the children turn in time slips for how long they were out in field service. So, very meticulous records. The elders from one congregation will send letters of introduction to elders in another congregation to introduce them to publishers who are moving into their area. Now, in this letter, they spell out any problems or issues that came up involving this new congregant. In essence, there's a database that exists which details all the lurid secrets in a member's history with the organization. Then it was learned that an even bigger database that holds each congregation's secrets exists at the Watchtower headquarters in New York. Now, this is a worldwide organization. So imagine the scores of people the Watchtower, the Watchtower has intel on. In fact, it has been estimated that worldwide there is information on over 20,000 uh, sexual deviants. In the Watchtower organization, 20,000 that have never been reported to the police. Anyway, when Debbie finally had her day in court, she had no support. In fact, the people she once considered friends and family had shown up in full support of her abuser, including her mom and dad. Unfortunately, Ronnie was protected by the statute of limitations. This fucker is protected again and the charges were dismissed. Debbie had to watch as her family and friends celebrated this victory. Now, Debbie McDaniel and Dolores Lyles are no longer a part of the organization, but they are still advocating for victims of sexual abuse. Now, horrible story. 
uh, two horrible stories, actually, because these ladies did their due diligence to have a monster removed from those congregations. And it ended up costing them their families. But that's not it. This, again, is a worldwide situation. In fact, uh, the Jehovah's Witnesses organization in Australia failed to report more than 1,000 alleged sex abusers to the police. And this was an inquiry called the Australian Royal Commission that really did a deep inquiry and a deep dive into these accusations and into what uh, authorities have come to find out about this database. The church itself handled all the cases, some of which date back to the 1950s. One elder told the hearing that notes relating to abuse claims were destroyed so they would not be discovered. So Australia began that national inquiry into child sexual abuse in 2013. And it started with the Catholic Church. And guess who, guess who was really, really talking staunchly against how horrible the Catholic Church was for their sex abuse scandals and how that could not happen in God's one true religion. That's right, the freaking Jehovah's Witnesses. Now, members of the Royal Commission into Institutional Responses to Child Sexual Abuse, whose remit includes uh, religious groups, NGOs, and state care providers, say that more than 4,000 victims had come forward. Angus Stewart, counsel for the commission, said that of 1,006 alleged perpetrators of child sexual abuse identified by the Jehovah's Witness organization, not one was reported by the church to secular authorities. In fact, the church dismissed 401 members following internal abuse hearings, which means 401 people were disfellowshipped, but more than half were later reinstated. One church member identified only as BCB gave testimony to the commission saying that she was sexually assaulted by an elder as a teenager and suffered depression as a result. Uh, she said the abuse changed who I was. It destroyed my confidence and my self-esteem. Now, another woman given the pseudonym BCG will give evidence that she was abused by her father, but forced by church authorities to confront him about the allegations. Her father responded by blaming her for seducing him. One Jehovah's Witness elder who handled BCB's complaint, Max Horley, admitted he destroyed notes about her allegations in case they fell into the wrong hands. We do not want our wives knowing our stuff, what sort of things we're dealing with, Mr. Horley told the hearing, adding that they wanted to limit the number of congregation members who knew about it as well. It is customary for them to not inform the congregation that they have a dangerous individual in their midst. What I just previously shared about the Australian Royal, Royal Commission was, uh, was, it was shared by the BBC. Over the past two decades, there have been dozens of cases alleging the Watchtower hid or mismanaged 
allegations of child sexual abuse. And in September 2018, a Montana woman who claimed her elders were ordered not to report her abuse won a $35 million lawsuit. Now that was later overturned by the Montana Supreme Court. So I'm keeping my eye on that because you know it's not over till it's over. The Watchtower is currently petitioning the Supreme Court to review another case in California claiming a database it maintains of alleged molesters is protected by clergy penitent confessional privilege. Now I'm going to uh, go from that article that I was just sharing with you to JW.org where the Jehovah's Witnesses on their website tell you what their beliefs are for their organization. And I'm going to read it. We are organized into congregations, each of which is overseen by a body of elders. However, the elders do not form a clergy class and they are unsalaried. We don't practice tithing and no collections are ever taken at our meetings. All our activities are supported by anonymous donations. The governing body, a small group of mature Christians who serve at our world headquarters, provides direction for Jehovah's Witnesses worldwide. So, specifically says they don't have a clergy class. But here we're we're hearing that, and I'm going to read this again, the Watchtower is currently petitioning the Supreme Court to review another case in California claiming a database it maintains of alleged molesters is protected by clergy penitent confessional privilege. So, which is it, Watchtower? Do you have a clergy class or do you not? Are you hiding behind a clergy class because you don't want the world to know that you are creating a freaking pedophile paradise in your congregations with these children and then you're going out into the community and having these monsters interact with other children and just even even if they're not going door to door and diddling children as they're doing it the fact that you're okay with keeping your congregation quote unquote clean but dirtying and sullying up the rest of the world even though you guys are not concerned about the world you're only concerned about Jehovah's Witnesses for instance if my house were to burn down, me, agnostic me, could call any church, Baptist, Episcopalian, Catholic, they will all go far out of their way to help a person who is not part of their uh, direct ministry. Except for the Jehovah's Witnesses. Jehovah's Witnesses will help other Jehovah's Witnesses. So, Again, I can't knock you for what you believe. You know, if you believe that uh, getting a blood transfusion means eating blood, then, you know, so be it. Just I don't want to see children die because of it. You get what I'm saying? Um, if you believe that having rapists and, and child molesters and pedophiles and murderers in your congregation, but you can't tell the law because can't take a brother to court. 
if if that's the case, if that's what you guys want, get a goddamn compound and keep your shit there. And I'm sorry, I'm going into cursing and I tried to do this without cursing, but I feel some type of way about child molestation. I just, I feel some type of way about it. And I really, I don't have any freaking use for a fucking pedophile. I don't have any use for a fucking child molester. You get what I'm saying? And and I'm trying not to make this whole thing personal, but I'm telling you, this to me is incredible. Now, the organization is not continuing a steady uh, influx of new members. And, and I could go into a million different reasons why I could tell you a whole lot of things Right now, that would make you say these people are bat shit nuts. You know, go, even starting from 25 years ago or 26, 26 years ago when I was pregnant, my son's dad is a Jehovah's Witness and his his side of the family were mostly Jehovah's Witnesses, especially during that time. Um, when when I announced my pregnancy, my dad told him gung-ho hey if you guys are ready this is a big step if you guys are ready for it i'm all for it i'm rah 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 shish boom bah so that was dad his mother says why would you guys bring a child into this world knowing that this system is about to end that was 25 years ago So they're they're waiting for this thing to just they are looking forward to the day that they can say we were right and you were wrong. In the meantime, all this wrong is going on right under the roof of the kingdom hall. So I got I got issues. I've got problems. And this is not going to sound as scripted and rehearsed and everything um, that it normally does, because now I'm just going I'm riffing. There's a, just so much. I could go on and on. There are so many other cases and different phases of litigation. And I will do my best to stay on top of details as they become available. In the meantime, if you'd like to know more about this wacky cult, there are a lot of great YouTube activists that you should check out. Lloyd Evans from the John Cedars channel. Uh, JT and Lady C of XJW Critical Thinkers. And XJW Analyzer should get you started. I'll leave their links on my website, tcbytb.com. I'm tcbytb on all the things. You'll notice I added more than a movie to my title because we do talk about movies and such. Uh, Please share with a friend or loved one who may be considering joining this cult and implore them to do their own research. The witnesses would rather you use their literature to research their religion, but you know that's a whole circle jerk. It's just you you can't study something by using that something. (laughs) If it's the truth, it can stand up to scrutiny, period. Now, please leave ratings and reviews on your platform of choice. I'd love to hear from you, tcbytb at gmail.com, and we're going to get together here real soon to discuss all things true crime with that later bookworms